This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Great Lakes Kids Apparel. That's right. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes for your little one to enjoy. Plus, Great Lakes Kids Apparel is a mom-owned business, so you know your kids will love these clothes. And Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers fast, free shipping on orders over $50, not to mention amazing customer service. So head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description and use promo code LOCKS to get 20% off your first order today. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I am John Connor. And I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we do an update to a truly terrifying true crime case. Doing something a little bit different for you guys this week. But before we do that, Olivia, as always, it's a pleasure to see you. Happy to have you hanging out and doing this podcast. Before we jump into what we're doing this week, how are you? How has your week been? Uh, I feel like I haven't seen you in a while, so it's it's uh, good to to be here with you. I know it's been a while. I feel like I mean it hasn't been that long, but I feel like we haven't sat down and saw each other on Zoom and you know recorded a podcast and like caught up. But it's been a rough week. Um, it was definitely a long week. It's Friday, TGIF. So I know you've been busy and got a new job. So how's that been going? It's good. I took a new position at work, so my schedule has changed a little bit. We also had a sick kid in the house this week, so I know we have some parents who listen. When you've got a sick three, four-year-old, it is not fun. But the last thing that we wanted to do is to miss a week. We wanted to make sure that we were putting out some content for you. And also, I mean, based on last week's episode, people wanted more information on that case. So that is exactly what we're going to do this week. But we also thought it would be fun, and I wanted to run this by you, Olivia, but I thought it would be fun to kind of take some questions from people in the Facebook group. We have a voicemail. We have our very first voicemail. I know. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to hear it. 
We're going to hear the voicemail. We're going to do some questions. I'm super excited too. Then we're going to do a review like we always do. Um, So I say we just jump on into it. Does that sound okay to you? Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm excited to, to do this. I like these kind of spontaneous episodes. I agree. And it's always fun for me too to be able to incorporate what people are asking in the Facebook group. We have such a great community. It's continuing to grow. We're almost at 400 members. And I just want to say thank you to everyone in the Facebook group. Whenever somebody new joins, you're so welcoming. Everyone is so nice. The internet, and I'm sure you know this, Olivia, from you know what you've done in your life and things like that, but the internet can be a very toxic place. So the fact that we have this community where everyone is just open to each other and respectful and just genuinely nice. I'm like, this is absolutely amazing. I, I love that we have this group. Yeah, the internet can be hateful. I do know that firsthand. But you know what? I love our Facebook group. I really do. Everybody really is just positive and happy to be there and happy to give their input. Um, so it's been really fun to read all the comments. And I try to get to everybody and you know hear what everybody's doing. But sometimes I get a little busy at work. <laughs> Let's go to our first question, John. I think that is a great idea. So our first question comes from Carissa in the Facebook group. And Carissa wanted to know, what is the process or set of requirements for when you're researching to decide what cases to highlight for an episode? I think that's a really good question. I gave a little bit of an answer in the Facebook group, but I thought this would be a great place to elaborate. And again, I know you've been busy, so we haven't been able to touch base in there as much as we'd like. But Olivia, I'll start with you. When you are researching these cases, what are the things that you look for or what helps you pick the case that you're going to pick for your episode? Well, I would say in the first couple episodes, I was looking at local crime, you know, learning about stuff that happened in New Orleans. And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole of you know, infamous murders in New Orleans or, you know, big crime cases that went through the court system here. And then after that, I actually went to the Facebook group and wrote down in one of our Check the Lock podcast notebooks all the suggestions that our listeners gave. And so now I've done a few just kind of like looking on the internet and I have a borrowed a friend's um, Hunting Humans Murder Encyclopedia book. So I've gone through that a time or two and then I've just kind of Googled a couple names from there. But I don't really have a true, like, pro- I mean, like, we have a process of how we write, but I just kind of, like, try to find a random case that I think has a lot of good details, and that's where I go from there. So, first of all, if you are on, like, a second date and you're bringing a gentleman home to your house for the first time, that Hunting Humans book is the best book to have out on a coffee table, because I feel like it would just send such a strong message. It's that's like, such a this good is idea. what I'm into. Right now, I literally have, like, four books. I love coffee table books. So, I have, like, a couple artist books. And then when I went to Utah last year, I bought a book from one of their artists that has all the scenery pictures in Moab. Um, I should definitely go put that in there and like make it seem like it's just one of my books sitting on my coffee table. Just one of your casual readings. Just Hunting (laughs) Humans. Hunting Humans, the murder encyclopedia. So the thing that I look for is, number one, is it a case that a lot of people know about? For some reason, I am really drawn to cases that are lesser known. And I think the reason for that is, there's so many podcasts and documentaries about the Night Stalker and Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer and all these, you know, really sensationalized, really large cases that have kind of been covered a million different times in a million different ways. So to be able to find something that may be just as shocking or maybe just as crazy of a story, but you haven't heard it, to me, that is a really big draw. 
Also, I'm a really big fan of a good story. And I think, you know, one thing that I'm proud of with this podcast is that we do try to find the positive in these kind of horrible stories that we're doing every week. And so I think that's important as well to be able to pick a story where, yes, we can pick a story where this negative thing happened, this negative thing happened, but this family member became an advocate for victim services or something like that. So if it's a good story, if it's something that I haven't heard, again, you and I are both really into true crime. So if we haven't heard it, there's a good chance that the people listening haven't heard it. So I really enjoy kind of sharing that. Yeah, and I'm actually kind of excited about today's update because apparently this John Wayne Gacy man is a pretty famous Ted Bundy type that I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, he is pretty prolific and pretty infamous. So we'll uh, we'll get into that a little bit as well. Um, I'm excited to kind of dive into those details. But before we do that, we have been asking for people to leave voicemails. And Olivia, we got a voicemail. And I am super excited to play it. How about you? I, I text you. I was like, we got a voicemail. I know. I'm so excited. I've been wanting someone to leave us a voicemail for so long. Me too. And our first voicemail comes from a member of our Facebook group, Tina Harris, and super excited to have it. I think we should jump in and listen to it. So I'm going to go ahead and play it, and then we will talk about it afterward. Hi, guys. I wanted to thank you and tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. It keeps me company when I'm taking my morning walks. Um, you asked about fight or flight. One time I was staying in a hotel, and it was hot, so I had the slider that was open to the courtyard open. And uh, all of a sudden this young man comes through the door and I jumped up without even thinking, started screaming and like swinging my heck I thought I was doing. Um, and I scared him because he accidentally just came in the wrong door. He wasn't trying to do anything. <laughs> he, he screamed and ran out the door. Um, so, yeah, that's my little story. But I also want to suggest maybe you might want to do um, a story about the speed freak killers that are um, were here in San Joaquin County. Um, I think that might be an interesting story for you. Okay, well, thanks a lot, and um, hope you guys have a good week. Bye-bye. I love it. Like, this is what I've been waiting for, so thank you, Tina. I appreciate it. You're our first voicemail. Tina, that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, and reach out to us in the Facebook group or Instagram, anything like that. I would love to send you some stuff for being our first voicemail Super happy. We've been looking forward to it. And that was absolutely awesome. And I have to share people who listen to the show may know that I just got back from vacation with my family. We stayed at Lake Michigan and in the hotel that we stayed at, each door had a slider that opened up to the beach. So I was coming back. It was, you know, in the evening, the sun had gone down. I was going back to my room. I walked up my patio and started pulling on the door and it wouldn't open. <laughs> and I was like, come on. I'm like pulling harder, like kind of yanking on it. And then I looked up and I was like, oh, my room is next door. This is not my room. And immediately Tina's voicemail came into my head. And I was like, if I come into this room, I'm going to get my ass beat. So I am not going, I like backtracked really fast, ducked into my room because I didn't want anybody to think I was trying to break in. But I was like, there's no telling what you would have caught on the other end. No telling. That's funny though. And I wanted to ask you, Olivia, you know, we talked a little bit about whether you're a fight or flight kind of person, but has there ever been a situation where, you know, you kind of caught yourself in that fight or flight mode and do you remember what you did? You know, I don't, I'm sure there's probably been plenty of incidences in my life that I could think about, but right offhand, I can't think of one right away, but like, I'm kind of a scaredy cat in general. Like when I was younger, I would never shower when I was home alone. I had to make sure that I was like up 
showered before my parents went to work. I had to have someone home for me to take a shower because I was just terrified that someone was going to come into the house while I was in the shower. And then I used to watch so much crime television to the point where I would like lay in bed at night and freak myself out to where I like I couldn't sleep. So I had to like quit watching like all crime stuff. If it was like even remotely could have happened to me in real life, I couldn't watch it because I would be so terrified. And then I, like I said earlier in one of the episodes, I check behind the shower curtains. I check behind the doors. I check all the nooks and crannies for the boogeyman because I'm kind of a chicken. It sounds like you are always ready for flight. Like you're always like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm always aware of my surroundings. And I think I just learned that from my mom. You know, I don't know. I'm just always on. I'm always on looking. You stayed up too late watching Murder Court. Murder Court. Yeah, I was. Um, this is a quick story and we can cut this if it's not funny. But when we were on vacation the week before you, um, I was riding. We went camping in Arkansas. And so I was in the car with my uh, stepdad and my mom. And I was talking about my deer radar. I was saying, you know, like, you know, the statistic like in Iowa is like one in five people hit a deer every day. And I was like bound and determined not to be a statistic. And so I was like, yeah, my deer radar is so good. I have to, I turn it on as soon as it like hits dusk. And my dad's like, your car has a deer radar? And I'm like, (laughs) no, like I'm the deer radar. It was the funniest thing. I was like, you're the hunter. You think that there's like deer radar that I can put in my car to make sure that I know when the deer are coming towards my car. That's a million dollar idea. It was funny. Yeah. Deer radar. I think we, I say we quit this podcast and we go into (laughs) development on deer radar, but I'm the same way though. I'm always like scanning the sides of the road because I am convinced that one is just going to jump out and then I'm going to be a deer murderer. You know what I mean? Yeah. I lived in Iowa city for four years and it is literally a cute little town in the middle of a cornfield. That's what I always described Iowa city as. I love the place. Definitely don't miss the Iowa winters, Carissa, but so, so so many deer all the time, just like in the middle of the town. Like one time I was driving to work and there was a buck just standing at the bus stop, like eating from a tree in the neighborhood. Had his backpack on. Yeah, pretty much (laughs) waiting to go to school. I'm going to be late for Mrs. Johnson's homeroom. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's get to the next question. Do you want to read this one? Yeah, I think I do. This question's from Lauren Kelly. Question for John and Olivia. You two have such good follow-up or unanswered questions during the podcast. Have you had anyone reach out or get in touch to answer your questions? If so, I'd love to hear update episodes that might answer some of those questions because I need to know. Well, that's perfect because that's what this episode is. And also, I have to say our Facebook group, again, not to brag too much on all the amazing people on our Facebook group, but they have done an amazing job at answering some of those unanswered questions. You know, we had the infamous pee out your potassium question where like how many bananas would you have to eat to overdose? I think it was something like 4,000 bananas in one sitting to overdose on potassium. I know uh, Hannah in the Facebook group, I believe it was Kaylee in the Facebook group as well. They shared that we've had uh, DJ on Instagram gave us some uh, additional information about Antoinette Frank and her past criminal record. So, I mean, you guys are absolutely awesome. Uh, the people in this group are are great. And, you know, we put out a question today. Hey, if there was any cases that we've done that you would want some updates on, what case would that be? And surprisingly, it was last week's case, Dean Coral, the Texas Candyman. So we thought, Lauren, what a better way to answer your question than to actually give you an update episode this week. So hope that's cool with you. Uh, but 
I'm excited to get into it. What about what about you? You know, I'm actually really excited about this because everybody wants to know about the connection between Dean Quarrel and John Wayne Gacy. And I'm pretty excited because, like I said earlier, I don't know who John Wayne Gacy is. So tell us a little bit about the connection and what you learned about it. So it was very surprising to me that you were not familiar with John Wayne Gacy. So to give you a little bit of a backstory, John Wayne Gacy was an American serial killer and sex offender who raped tortured and murdered at least 33 young men and boys between 1972 and 1978. So right off the bat, does that remind you of anything that we've talked about recently? Um, Dean Coral. They're like two peas in a pod. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you remember from last week's episode or if people listening remember, but when Gacy was caught, he actually said, I beat Coral's record. I beat the 28. I got 33. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, infamously, John Wayne Gacy buried the majority of these bodies under his home in his crawl space. What is with people and their crawl spaces? I don't understand. It's private, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, there's nobody going down there. And it just seems like it would be a place where, like, you could get to that nobody else could. I still don't really understand the definition of a crawl space, but I'm just going to leave that for another day. So this crawl space was literally like a crawl space. Like it was enough room that you could maybe like hunch over. I don't know if you remember the um, the murder of Christopher DeNoyer where we talked about Jackson Velarda mm-hmm. burying the body in the crawl space and they had to demonstrate like how somebody would go in and do it. So it's not a very big area, but he had trenches that were dug. So oh. he would dig it, dig it out and then put the bodies in but then put the new bodies on top, things like that. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Now, Gacy was known as the killer clown because he would regularly perform at children's hospitals and charitable events as Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown. These were personas that he had devised. Now, he's also on record saying that when you were a clown, people would let you do anything. So he would talk about women sitting on his lap and he would grope them, things like that, and they would let him because he was Pogo the Clown. It was all in, like quote good fun or oh, what a pervert can i call him a pervert a hundred percent okay yeah yeah call him a whole bunch of stuff i think perverts on the light side okay now this happened in the suburbs outside of chicago and we actually have a member of our facebook group melissa who actually grew up about two miles away from gacy's home now because his house was like called like the house of murder, the house of torture, the city actually, once they excavated all the bodies, they actually tore the house down, built something new there. So it wasn't the same house, but it's the the area. And you can very famously, there's documentaries on Netflix. You can pull it up on YouTube. This was at the time very similar to the Dean Coral case where the media was kind of beginning to sensationalize these things. Yeah. So there is so much coverage of police officers just, bring one body out, another body out, another body out, like 28 bodies. That's insane. In the span of a couple of days. Yeah. I still don't think that I would live in whatever house was built on top of that. Because technically yeah, it was like neither. a grave site for 33 yeah. children, essentially. But. Yeah. No, thank you. Hmm. Now we did talk last week about, you know, Dean Coral used the handcuff trick, which Again, that's, you know, I'm going to put these handcuffs on. I'll show you how to get out of them. I take the handcuffs off. I put them on you. You can't get out of them. Now you're stuck. Gacy famously stole this. um, And then once he got them in the handcuffs, he would use a ligature 
to essentially strangle his victims. So he would take a rope and he would take like a pencil or a stick and he would wrap it, kind of tighten the stick. And as he twisted the stick or the pencil, it would tighten the rope around their neck. So he could basically control, you know, if you were going to pass out, he could let it go. It would loosen, you get air, tighten it back up again. So he could prolong that torture for as long as he wanted to. That's just sickening. That really, I mean, this, he, these two men are disgusting. And it's very crazy how similar they are. Yeah, and so who, Coral was first, correct? Yes, Coral was 1970 to 1973, and then John Wayne Gacy was 1972 to 1978. So they started killing basically around the same time. Do you think, I mean, the media wasn't huge, huge in the 70s, I don't know, was it? Like, do you think they knew who each other were beforehand? Or like learned about each other as they were both committing these crimes? Well, and I think that's where as we start going through the connection that they may have run in some of the same circles. Okay. Where these type of people would hear about other types of people and there would be lines of communication. Okay. Now, it's important to remember that when Gacy was arrested, he originally confessed to all of the murders. I mean, there was 33 bodies found under his house. He didn't really have a choice. <laughs> Yeah, and there was one in the river, I believe, as oh, okay. well. Um, but he gave details. He wrote a map and showed police where all the bodies were buried, You know, gave details on each killing specifically. Now, like Coral, Gacy actually had two teenage employees who were involved in the murders. So Coral had David Brooks that we talked about last week, Elmer Wayne Henley. They would procure the young boys for Coral. Gacy had David Cram and Michael Rossi. Now, both of them admitted to digging trenches in Gacy's crawl space, but they denied involvement in any of the murders. So essentially, he said, you know, he just asked us to go down to his crawl space and dig these, you dig know, these deep dig holes. holes. Yeah. Gacy owned a contracting company, so they would do home renovations, roofing. So these boys were just like, yeah, he just wants us to do another job. To the point where Gacy's attorney himself has said these boys didn't have anything to do with it, which... Being a defense attorney, if there was anybody that you could bring in to kind of lighten the heat off of your client, you would think. You would, and these would be the two prime candidates to do that. Right. Now, Gacy also employed a young man named Philip Paskey. Now, you may remember from last week's episode that Philip Paskey had spent time in prison and formed a close relationship with John David Norman. John David Norman, if you remember, was the head of the notorious sex trafficking ring out of Dallas, Texas. Again, at the time Dean Coral was committing these murders, he was in Houston, and he had told Elmer Wayne Henley and David Brooks that he allegedly had ties to Norman's sex trafficking ring. Now, this is a connection that has been speculated frequently over the years, but there's never been any hard evidence to confirm it. But it's interesting, right, because you just mentioned, like, you know, did he maybe know from the media or right, like you know, was this a wide story? Right, because they were killing in the same way, in the same population of young boys. That's just an interesting time for two men to commit very similar crimes and technically have two accomplices, even though Gacy's weren't true accomplices. But it's, it's very interesting how similar they are. So what's really interesting is after being arrested in 1973, Norman moved to Homewood, Illinois, which is a suburb outside of Chicago, and shortly after was arrested again, this time for luring young boys to his apartment and sexually assaulting them. So he got arrested in Dallas. I don't know if you remember, but he had the Rolodex with all of the men's names yeah, yeah, on yeah, it yeah. who were using a service. Goes to jail. Now he moves to Illinois and just kind of jumps right back in the same thing. This time he's arrested. He's put in prison. 
and he meets Philip Paskey. And we talked about that. Paskey gets out before uh, Norman. He takes over the boys for hire business. He's printing out the magazines. I also, in my additional research, found out, are you familiar with Boys Life magazine? No, not at all. Boys Life magazine is a Boy Scouts magazine. So if you're a Boy Scout or like a Boy Scout parent, you got Boys Life magazine. Mm -hmm. They would put coded messages and advertisements in Boys Life magazine. So Scoutmasters, all that stuff, they would get this magazine and they would have the code. They arrested several uh, scout leaders that were essentially using the Boy Scouts as a front to procure children. Yeah, it's crazy. That makes me really sad because both of my nephews are Boy Scouts. Well, I guess one's not anymore, but they were both Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. One still is. That's just, I was when I was a kid, Pinewood Derby, Uh -uh. you know? So now it seems like Norman is going to be the connection. If Coral really met and associated with Norman, and then Norman moves to Illinois, and Gacy lives in Illinois, then... I could see it. I could see it. Now, what's crazy is that Norman forged this super close relationship with Philip Paskey. Philip Paskey was employed by John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. So Gacy is found guilty of all charges, and he's looking at the death penalty. Now, around 1990, as John Wayne Gacy is trying to do his appeals and things like that, he began claiming that he actually didn't kill all of his victims. He claimed that Norman and Paskey would prostitute young boys and girls for both sex and movies. Now, while it is widely believed that Gacy did kill all of his victims on his own because he did confess to it, there are lesser believed theories that Norman and Paskey would kill victims and then dump them in Gacy's home without his knowledge, which to me is a huge stretch of the imagination, especially when this guy's like, I did it. I killed all 33 of these people. Here's a map. Right. I could see where like Gacy killed a fair share of his victims or the bodies that were found under his house. But I could also see if Norman and Paskey knew that he was killing these boys. They'd be like, hey, well, we're kind of into this too. But then you can't say that these two gentlemen killed all those boys under the house and blamed it on Gacy, especially when he committed to the crime. Yeah. And to me, and again, this is total speculation, but to me, it is more likely to believe that Paskey connected Norman and Gacy in some way. Mm-hmm. And maybe Norman was able to help with like the procurement aspect or like these are ways that you can get young boys or things of that nature. Now, Gacy claimed that many young men, including Paskey, had keys to his home, um, which is something that has been documented. Certain employees, things like that, that Gacy would have sexual relationships with. He would give them keys to his home where if he was out of town, they could come, you know, drink, play pool things like that. Now, again, these claims were never substantiated. Gacy was executed on May 10th, 1994. Now, in his lifetime, John David Norman was arrested 19 times, and 16 of which were for sexual crimes. It is interesting to add that he was never arrested and charged for sex trafficking, which seems like that would be the thing you want to go for. Right. Now, his last arrest was for sexual battery, and he was released in 2009. On probation, and with the exception that he have no contact with young boys, apparently at the age of 81, he slipped a note to a 19-year-old grocery store clerk propositioning him. He also took an ad out in a local newspaper asking for a young male roommate looking 
for more companionship than sex, but offering free to low rent. Uh, He was arrested again, and John David Norman actually died in 2016. Again, no concrete evidence as far as we can say definitely that, you know, they were all involved in this particular way, but because of the time frame, the way that Norman was in Dallas when Coral was working in Houston, then he moved to Illinois. He is very good friends with someone who is working for Gacy, and Gacy's doing very similar crimes. They were all accomplices. I mean, I think they all were had some part in attracting the young men, whether who killed them or not. I think they all did terrible things to young men. And I think they I think they were all connected. I think they were all connected. To me, it seems at least connected in the way that weird as it sounds like they swapped war stories, right? Like, you know, I knew Dean Coral and Dean Coral would do this. And then, you know, Gacy starts doing these things. And again, it's all speculation, but there's too much in common for it to seem like there wasn't some kind of relationship between these three men. Right, right. I agree with that 100%. So that was just a quick update. And again, guys, if you want to dive even deeper, Netflix has a really good John Wayne Gacy documentary out right now. You can also on Discovery Plus, you can watch The Clown and the Candyman. That kind of dives into to both. So if you're looking to dig a little bit further, you know, we hit it at a very high level. There's a lot of details, but just, you know, because people were asking for those updates, we wanted to you know, give you what you wanted, kind of give you a little bit of extra information. Olivia, I think we should read a review. What do you think? I love reading reviews. I think I love the voicemails more, but I love reading reviews too. I love them both. I, I want reviews and voicemails in every episode. Olivia, who do you got for us this week? So this week's five-star review comes from LDub57656. OMG, I love your show so much. I can't stop listening. John and Olivia have worked so seamlessly together on the pod, it is easy to listen to. I also love that you just tell the stories and leave out too much chit-chat. Hard to find a podcast that gets straight to the point that is enjoyable. Thank you for making such an amazing podcast that is informative and fun to listen to. So thank you, LDub57656, for reaching out and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. LDub, thank you so much. We truly... And honestly, really do appreciate the kind words and the feedback. And I'm going to be honest, hopefully this episode didn't have too much chit-chat for you. This is a little chit-chat heavy episode, but we got to give you one every once in a while. And we would love to send you some free stuff. We've got stickers. We've got buttons. We've got magnets. Would love to send that out to you. Reach out to us on the socials. You can find us on Instagram at CheckTheLocksPod. We are on Twitter at CheckTheLocks. Again, if you're not in our Facebook group, so much fun. The people in there, again, I can't say it enough, are absolutely amazing. We have so much fun. If you are not a social person, again, you can head over to CheckTheLocksPod.com. Send us an email. Let us know where to send the stuff. We'll make sure that we get it out to you. And Olivia, if someone wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, how do they do that? Well, first, they need to go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our show, Check the Locks Podcast. And then you need to leave us a five-star review and let us know what you like, um, any feedback, any cases you want us to talk about. Just leave us a review and let us know, and hopefully you'll be the next lucky winner that we read. That's right. Make sure that you are subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts. I mean, subscribe wherever you can. If you listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever. Uh, But if you want a chance to win some free stuff, follow us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star review. We still got tons of stuff to send out. I've got a whole box of stuff. uh, So I would love to get some stuff out in the mail, get some free swag out there. Next week, we are back with 
another full episode. Uh, Olivia, I was super excited to see what you were doing next week. I know a little bit about it. I didn't want to go into all the details when you told me which case you were doing, but super, super excited. Do you want to talk a little bit about it at all? Yeah, so this uh, coming week, we're going to talk about a little summertime bikini killer. Um, and we're going to add something a little bit new that we haven't done before. Um, we're actually going to have an interview um, with someone who lived right close by to where the murders took place. Um, and so I'm excited to release this episode and see what everybody thinks about the bikini killer. That is absolutely awesome. When you told me that you had somebody lined up that was in the area at the time of the murders, I'm super excited to hear like just what the air was like at that time. And I have to tell you, I've been working on my own. That is uh, also pretty dark. So I'm excited to do that as well. So we've got some really, really heavy hitters coming up. And again, guys, we just want to say thank you so much for the support. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for letting us do this episode and bringing you these updates. Uh, again, please make sure that you're following us on the socials. Make sure that you are participating in the Facebook group. We would love to have you. So I think that's it for this episode, but we will see you guys next week. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you guys next week.